Welcome, you're listening to Rheumatology Republic In Conversation podcast. Hi, I'm Wendy John. Today, we're in conversation with Dr. Jessica Long and Dr. Georgia Harris from Melbourne's Austin Hospital. They've been researching polymyalgia rheumatica and actually presented two papers at APLA this year. In particular, it's the patient's perspective that's driven the research by Dr. Leong and Dr. Harris, and it was only by focusing on the patient's real-world experience that they identified a feature of PMR that could help with much more rapid diagnosis of the disease, particularly for non-rheumatology specialists. Thank you very much, Dr. Georgia Harris and Dr. Jessica Leong, for joining us today. How are you both? We're good, thank you. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. My pleasure. Wanting to find out a lot more about polymyalgia rheumatica. You've both done some research in this, which is particularly interested and particularly focused on the patient experience. Yeah, so um, essentially we were really interested in looking more closely at PMR or polymyalgia rheumatica because it tends to be um, a fairly neglected condition, condition as far as rheumatological conditions go. Um, you know, it's it's very much under-researched compared to other conditions. And I think the greatest evidence that we have of this is uh, the fact that uh, the treatment paradigm for PMR really hasn't changed since the 19, uh, late 1950s. And when you compare that to a condition like rheumatoid arthritis, where really we've, we've come leaps and bounds in that time, um, it's really um, quite surprising when you think about it and, and disappointing that we don't have greater breakthroughs in PMR. And so that's why we're particularly interested in, in looking more closely at it. It's also a research interest of the hospital that we're at, the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. And so we have a dedicated PMR clinic there and um, that really sets up, us up quite well to be looking at this condition more closely. So why do you think... PMR flies under the radar. Why haven't there been changes in the same way that rheumatoid arthritis has seen? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think it probably ultimately boils down to two main reasons. So unfortunately, I think a large part of the reason that it's neglected is that it tends to affect an older population. Um, So, you know, the median age is 74. And so uh, when people decide what to research and the kind of health economics of of what would be most valuable to research, they, they do tend to um, look at uh, conditions that affect younger working age, um, the younger working age population, and so I think that's unfortunately part of the reason that PMR has has not been focused on as much as other conditions. I think though there's also this false impression that um, PMR is is really quite a straightforward condition that's easy to treat. So I think it gets oversimplified often into a condition that is just presents as shoulder and hip girdle stiffness and pain and that's about it um, and that you, you treat them with moderate doses of prednisolone and they respond really well and you just bring the prednisolone down to the lowest dose they can tolerate and then and then kind of leave it there um, and that's all you need to think about. But uh, really I think that those of us who see a lot of PMR and, and especially those of us who research PMR recognise that the condition is much more complicated than that and, you know, we see we actually see lots of relapses um, as people wean their prednisolone. Um, not all of them can get down to low doses of prednisolone and, and we see there's a much longer term impact on these patients, uh, both from their condition and the, and the treatment as well. Yeah, so I guess it makes sense from a health economics perspective that research would be targeting areas that seem to have a bigger impact 
on community who are bringing income into society. It leaves the more senior members of our community a little bit out on the edge though, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, as we have an aging population, that logic no longer stands true anyway. So, you know, we definitely see PMR happening in um, people definitely from the age of 50 and even in the late 40s sometimes, you know, we do have patients in their very, in their late 40s who have pet proven PMR. So it's difficult to argue they've got a a different condition. Um, And these days people are working, um, lots of people are working until their 70s. And so I don't think you can still use that reasoning to argue why we shouldn't be looking more at PMR, if it, if it's ever even a valid reason to be ageist. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So why did you both choose that patient experience, patient perspectives, real world experience as the topic of your research? Yeah, so um, so essentially our experience in the PMR clinic treating these patients, we, we often hear lots of recurring themes about the impact of their condition on them, um, which is, is not reflected in what we see in the literature. And so I guess what we really wanted to do was was take those issues away from the anecdote and put it into a much more objective form um, and yeah. get it into published literature to be able to disseminate that uh, that message. And you found that the experience of patients is inadequately understood by clinicians? Yes, so we were lucky enough to have Georgia, when she was a final year medical student, um, do this do this project, and she's now an intern, of course. So I'll let her speak about what we found with this, with this study. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, a lot of what we uh, found in this study marries up with what Jess was saying. They found anecdotally, and in that it was a really complicated and debilitating journey essentially from start to finish for a lot of these patients. Their their symptom presentation in the beginning is not just the pain and stiffness that is classically described in the literature. Um, You know, we had a lot of survey respondents talk about fatigue, um, mental concentration being affected, uh, having difficulty with, with sleep. And that was quite an interesting perspective. Um, as well as their journey to diagnosis was uh, quite difficult for a lot of people. Um, the average uh, time taken to diagnosis from symptom start to diagnosis was about three months. Um, and a lot of people are being diagnosed with PMR in general practice and found that they were often, you know, misattributed to a, a wide range of other conditions um, initially. You know, some people talked about they were diagnosed with a viral infection or they were given antibiotics. And so that sort of really quite affected their journey and um, delayed adequate treatment. Uh, was there anything that was really surprising for you? Um, I think the wide variety of responses that we got was quite surprising. There was certainly a, a huge spectrum of experience. Some patients were completely refractory to prednisolone treatment, which is the mainstay of treatment and required multiple DMARDs um, and described, a, you know, real impact on their life, couldn't work, couldn't um, complete social activities, affected their emotional and mental well-being. Um, whereas some of the patients were completely the other end of the spectrum and responded really quickly and really well to prednisolone, experienced minimal side effects from the treatment, were able to wean off with um, no relapses. So that was quite an interesting finding and there's obviously still a lot to understand about why some people experience such a different spectrum of disease. So it was surprising how different 
patients experienced the disease and how extreme some of those experiences were. Do you think that's understood about PMR? No, I think I think a lot of that can really fly under the radar, um, unfortunately. And a lot of patients sort of described, um, you know, wishing that they'd experienced more support in terms of emotional well-being and and focusing, you know, more on these symptoms that are under-recognised, this fatigue and the the sleep disturbance and things that really impacted their life so much. Um, and another thing that patients really preferred to talk about was they when they're talking about their condition and describing their pain and stiffness they actually almost always spoke about it in terms of their functional limitations instead of describing the pain and the stiffness itself they would prefer to talk about things that they could and could not do Um, you know I was unable to shower I was unable to get out of bed I had difficulty thriving and I think that just goes to show how much we really underestimate the impact on, on patients' functional limitation. Um, and that's quite an important measure, I think, both clinically and in research um, and should be thought about as, you know, potential um, patient-reported outcome in research. So it sounds like the patients are talking about their experience in terms of what they couldn't do, what the limitations on their, their function and their lifestyle was. How is that useful information for clinicians, for health practitioners working with these patients? I um I might I just have a point on that. I think that um my suspicion is that the reason they they really focus on their functional limitation uh, rather than their symptoms is that um I think the stiffness uh, that we that patients experience in PMR is really quite profound, far beyond what we see in other inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. And um, we know that stiffness is a very difficult concept to really um, explain or describe properly. And I think that when patients experience really profound stiffness that stops them doing things, they they don't use the word stiffness unless you give them that term. Uh, they they that's why they just describe um, what what activities they weren't able to do. It's a very interesting concept that needs further exploration, I think, in the future. But that could be a key to helping diagnose PMR earlier. I absolutely agree with you. I think I actually think that PMR patients, you know, you only need to listen to their history for about five minutes. And if you just let them talk and describe their symptoms, you can often pick their diagnosis straight away without asking them too much at all. So it's almost like a gestalt kind of just diagnosis based on, on their history rather than any signs necessarily, because they often recurringly describe the same things that they cannot do. Um, and you're right, it absolutely helps with quick diagnosis if you know what to look for. So for example, they typically describe describing unable to get out of bed they often have to roll to their side and swing their legs around in order to get out of bed rather than being able to push themselves out of bed they typically cannot um, bend over to put shoes and socks on Um, obviously raising their arms is is a classic um, limitation they can't wash their hair or or their face in the morning Um, and um, and I think if if we were able to get that sort of message, you know, that you're looking for those types of descriptions um, to diagnose PMR, that that would hopefully go some way to helping with earlier diagnosis. That's very promising. Yeah, the um, I think the next step is is how do we disseminate these these messages? How effective are the treatment options currently? Like to your point earlier, that we have many people still working into their seventies out of either need or or choice. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting what Georgia was saying before about the really varied responses that we were hearing from patients because uh, we do see um, almost two separate populations in terms of treatment response. So um, there's definitely a group of patients who respond remarkably well to the standard 15 milligrams of prednisolone and you can wean them according to BSR guidelines and they don't have any issues and they, they do your stereotypical um 12 to 18 month wean off prednisolone and they have no major issues. And then there's definitely um, a second group of patients who have multiple relapses along the way. Usually um, when you get to prednisolone doses of less than about eight, 7.5 milligrams daily. And I would say just anecdotally, I'd say that um, roughly about one in four patients respond really well and have no issues, whereas the majority will have multiple relapses along the way. And at the moment, we tend to treat that by um, increasing prednisone for a short period of time and then starting a wean again after some time. And after a couple of relapses, we might consider steroid sparing agents. But again, the, the unfortunately, the data for steroid sparing agents is currently lacking. So that brings me to the second piece of study that you did, the real world experiences, where you really identified that PMR may not be as self-limiting as traditionally thought, that relapses are more common than expected. Yeah, so I think we, we had some interesting findings um, from this audit that we did, um, which was a retrospective cohort study um, that looked at all the patients who attended the Austin Health PMR clinic uh, from 2016 to 2020. And it really supports what Jess has just been talking about, that um, actually nearly 65% of the patients um, from the audit had at least one relapse and 35% and 16% going on to have having two and three lapses respectively over a mean follow-up time of 1.3 years. So that's quite a significant number um, given what Jess has said about, you know, the traditional perspective on on PMR of being able to wean prednisolone without any issues over a, a period of time. Yeah. Was there anything surprising in this piece of research? Um, I guess it was all surprising for me as I as I start out in this um, rheumatology journey. But um, I think as well, um, the number of patients that had to be on a steroid sparing agent was quite interesting. So nearly 27% um, of the patients from the audit had tried a disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. Um, so I thought that was quite a significant statistic for, as just pointed out, something that doesn't have a lot of um, literature behind it. It occurs to me that there's a lot that can be done with greater awareness I don't think that um, diagnosis of PMR or knowledge of PMR is an issue with rheumatologists. I think that's definitely well known amongst uh, rheumatologists just because obviously this is our our specialty. But I do think that there are some changing ideas about what PMR looks like long term. You know, I think that the old paradigm of of just give them prednisolone and wean it and, and leave them on a small dose and that's it is slowly changing even amongst our profession. Whereas with GPs, I think that there there is an issue with PMR not being well known amongst all GPs, which is understandable because of the breadth of the topics that they need to be across. But um, unfortunately, that does lend itself to delays in diagnosis. Now, you presented both of these papers at the recent APLA Congress. Congratulations. Georgia, as an early career researcher, what were some of the 
what were some of the experiences that you had that might make you want to go into more research down the track? Or was it completely like, okay, not interested in any more research from now on? Absolutely not. I, I loved the experience and I'm definitely keen to do more research. I think um, I particularly liked the qualitative side of it and getting to run focus groups with patients and really just hear their experiences and their struggles and, and you know, hearing such a wide variety of opinions and thoughts and feelings. And um, that was definitely a rewarding part of the, the project. That's great. Is there anything else around PMR that either of you would like to say? I guess one sort of one final topic would be, which we sort of covered when we talked about current treatment and potential future treatments, is that was quite an important topic to patients. Um, as we know, glucocorticoids have quite a significant side effect profile. Um, and so patients would sort of paradoxically, you know, praise the, the efficacy of the glucocorticoids for relieving their symptoms within a few days, but then describe sort of the emotional toll of, you know, fearing side effects and then experiencing side effects themselves. Um, and one of the research priorities to patients is definitely finding um, and looking for alternative treatments uh, to PMR. So um, that's an important future research area to be looking at. Mm. Jessica? The only other thing I wanted to say was that, you know, obviously because we're really interested in researching PMR for some time moving forwards, we also knew that it would be really important to make sure that the research we are doing in the future is really targeted towards what patients wanted us to research and um, the way that patients wanted us to improve the the management of their condition. So I think in, in years gone past, research has been largely directed by the clinicians and scientists, but these days we understand that you really need to make sure that you partner with patients fairly early on to make sure that the research you're doing is actually relevant. Um, and so this qualitative study of patient perspectives um, to a degree was, was going, is going to underpin what we look at in future. That was In Conversation with PMR specialists Dr Jessica Leong and Dr Georgia Harris. Rheumatology Republican Conversation podcast is brought to you by the Moose Republic team. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and iTunes. You might also like our podcast, The Tea Room, to keep up with the general practice of what's happening in health and medicine. But for the latest news and views about rheumatology, check out our Rheumatology Republic magazine or our website, www.rheuma.com.au. I'm Wendy John. Thanks again for listening.